Hasn't it? Let's just praise God with a round of applause for God, what he's done through us. Over these last nine weeks, I know I've been blessed. It's been a journey. The, the series has been called Seasons of Renewal, Walking with God in the Psalms. And in case you're new here at Community Grace, at least in the last two months, and don't really know what I'm talking about, uh, here's what we set out to do in this journey through the Psalms. Seasons of Renewal kind of had a general sense and a specific sense. The general sense is we've all been in this year, 2020, it's been a wild and crazy year in so many different ways. And we sensed that, you know, living through things like COVID-19 pandemic and uh, extra attention given to racism has made us uncomfortable in a lot of ways. And that's a good thing. It's through those kind of crises and challenging times that God gets our attention and helps lead us to things that he wants to do in our lives. Our sovereign God can use any crisis and challenging time to to convict us, to strengthen us, and to lead us into a season of renewal. That was the general sense of what we wanted to seek from God in the Psalms. And I think that he answered that in several mighty ways. Then also, over the nine weeks, we connected with several particular seasons of life. And we discovered that the book of Psalms, all 150 Psalms, will touch every season that you can possibly go through in life. And I hope that many of you had your specific seasons touched and strengthened as we see that God is there with you in all of them, and he is good in all of them, whatever season you are in life. So that's what we've been doing. We're walking with God through life, through the Psalms, and today as we close this series, we're going to see how to keep this up, how to keep up this journey that, that we're on in life, how to keep experiencing this growth how to keep building our lives. And we're going to focus especially on building our families, building our church, and building our city or our society. The title of the message today is How to Keep Building the House That God Gave Us. So if you haven't opened your Bibles yet to Psalm 127, please do. The bulletins are back there if you I want to send somebody to run get you one if you don't have one already. Psalm 127. And this is going to be my last little about the Psalms section. I've been enjoying these as we figure out how to interpret ancient Hebrew poetry and hear the voice of God through it, connecting with us today. That's how the Bible works, you know. So there are, uh, the focus I want to have on today's about the Psalm is groupings of Psalms. This is a fun subject. There are 150 Psalms that were written again over 1,500 years and compiled and they've been grouped together in similar kind. So that means as you're reading through Psalms and you notice that hey, these all kind of sound the same, that's because they are. They're grouped together uh, in like kind. So you're going to see groups of several different types together. It's good to know that. Uh, Psalm 127 is in, the, is in a group of 15 Psalms. Actually, hold on, i got a picture of a book. There are five books in the book of Psalms. Did you know that? And that's neat to see. Each one of those has its own theme. I'm not going to take time right now. It's easy to find that information, uh, the theme of each one of those five books of the Psalms. But uh, that might help you read the whole book in, in those chunks and see the, the themes and what God is addressing in each of those five books. And Psalm 127 is in that last book. It's, it's within that. It's in a group of 15 Psalms called Psalms of Ascent. And if you have your Bibles open, you see that title at the top of Psalm 127. It says something like, 
a song of ascents of Solomon. So that tells you first that Solomon is the, the author of the psalm today. He is credited for two of the psalms. The wisest man ever to live, the Bible says. And so we expect to see some wisdom today. But a song of ascents. Ascent means ascending, rising, climbing. And here's the history of this group of 15 psalms, Psalm 120 to 134. Those 15 psalms have been grouped together because they were sung and recited by the Levite priests as they walked up together to the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem's on a hill, so you walk up to it no matter what direction you're coming from. That's why it says, I walked up or I looked up to Jerusalem. So these were a group of psalms that were memorized and sung in performance and worship by the Levite priests. They've also discovered evidence of a staircase with 15 steps. And the Levite priests would stand on these 15 steps and recite and sing and worship these 15 psalms. The theme of these psalms, they are pilgrimage psalms. So they're all about this journey that God's people are on together. And I'm going to encourage you to read those. They're all short. Uh, maybe today or this week, just kind of write a note. Read Psalms 120 to 134, these 15 psalms of ascent of this journey that we're on in life. Really, really cool stuff, and I think that you'll be blessed by that. And Psalm 127 is right in the middle of those, and that's what we're focusing on today. It's a brief psalm, and it's one of my favorite psalms in the whole book. Psalm 127 covers three of the most important areas of all humanity, of our human experience. Three of the most important areas. That is the family, the church, or God's covenant people, and the city, or our society. These are the three areas of human function that God wants to be healthy because they lead to the best human flourishing, the best joy, the best meaning in life, the best fruit in life, the best satisfaction, the best peace, the best prosperity are when these three elements of, of humanity are healthy. But of course, that also means that these three areas can potentially cause the greatest worry, the greatest anxiety, the greatest amount of sleepless nights, of disagreements and conflicts, of stress and risk and loss and possible failure and, and sadness for doing all the work for the wrong purpose when you look back. The family, the church, and the city or society otherwise known as the house that God has given us to build. God gives us instructions for building the house that he gave us in this short psalm. So let's look into it now. We'll dive into this. And first we find God's instructions for building our house. Okay, God's instructions for building our house. That's in verses 1 and 2. Now we have some folks in this church that build houses for a living. I'm pretty sure that if you ask them if it would be a good idea to build a house without a plan or without a blueprint, with no architectural drawings, they would say, no, that's not a good idea. They wouldn't even do that. You wouldn't even want a house that was built that way. In fact, how many of us when we were kids did that very thing, built a clubhouse or a treehouse with no plans and had them collapse on us, right? I know I did. Uh, as foolish it would, as it would be to want to build a house with no plans, no blueprints, 
Consider the greater folly it would be to try to build your life with no plans, no blueprint, or how to build your family with no plans, or how to build a church or a city with no real plans. And that, that's what many people do. Many are building up theirs with no good plan. And we suffer the consequences, and sometimes we make a train wreck of them. So let's see what God says about a plan to build the house he gave us. Verses 1 and 2. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go to late rest, go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Now these verses are filled with wisdom for being successful in the things that we're building. Of course, it's poetry, and it's written with a lot of uh, poetic style and metaphors, so we're going to study what this means. What's Solomon saying to us? What's God saying to us right now? So the first thing I want to ask is, what is it that we are building? What are we building? And then we'll ask, how does God say to build it? What are we building? As I said, this text poetically is using the word house to represent a few different things. See, in the Bible, the word house represents a number of different things. It can represent our families. It can represent our households, our lives, uh, the nation of Israel, the covenant people of God, the, the church, and entire cities. It's used to express all of those. For example, Moses was a faithful servant over all his house. That was the nation of Israel. God put him over that house. And as long as the Lord was with that house, it prospered and it grew. And as long as God's presence became lost, the builders of that house built in vain, in their own power, in their own directions, and that house suffered. And that labor was lost. And this proved to be true for centuries as you read through the Old Testament. For centuries, for generations, the generations that were faithful built up the house. And it was prosperous and strong. And the generations that were unfaithful to God lost it all. They lost it. Countless families since then have been lost. Countless churches have had to close their doors. And countless societies have crumbled as we look past in history. And we don't want to and we don't need to lose our family and close the doors of this church and see our society crumble. We'll be faithful to God and his plans. So these three structures, it's important for us all to know this. This is the way God created all of society. These three structures right here are the building blocks to a healthy society and in order. You see, healthy families make up healthy churches. And healthy churches make up healthy societies. That's how, it's, that's how God built it. And we see that over and over. And we're living in a time when all three of those are assaulted all the time and attacked and diminished and mocked and generally devalued. The family, the church, a healthy society. Plenty of forces that want all those things to be destroyed and devalued. But for those of us 
who want to stand against that tide, against that trend, against those attacks. We want to see human flourishing and, and godliness and thriving. So we need to be bold and brave enough to follow God's instructions in all three areas. And that's what we are building. That's what we are building. Now, how do we build? Let's go back to the verses and see the principles involved in building these structures of human society, the family, the church, the city. Okay, so we're going to look at how to build and how not to build. And these two short verses say a lot. First of all, let me, let me just paint this picture a little bit further here before we get started in the verses. Suppose that you were to build a house for an auction. Okay, there's such a thing as a parade of homes around here. How many people have ever been on one of the parade of homes? Yeah, lots of people. So you have this parade of homes and, and you have this auction. They're selling the houses. And the house that you built, it turned out beautifully. I mean, the construction just looked perfect. The paint job was great. You hired Jose to paint it. He did a great job. He always does. The landscaping was just perfect. But then the auctioneer and the crowd went into that house and found it empty. Now, I don't mean just no furniture. I mean no plumbing, no electric, no flooring. I mean, is anybody going to buy that house? Is that house ready? Did you follow the full plans for building that house? No, you did not. And that house is not ready. It's not going to be sold at that auction. There was plenty of labor involved in it, but it wasn't the right labor. It wasn't the complete labor. It wasn't the Lord's labor. And that's the point verse 1 makes right off the bat. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord builds the house... What does this mean? Okay, there's a few different ways to approach building our families, our churches, our societies, things that we're building. One of the ways is we can try to do it on our own power and fail. Okay, this is what God is teaching us. Don't do it on your own power. See, any good church elder board or ministry team knows this. And that's why, what do we do first before we try to lead a church or lead a ministry or grow something? We pray, right? Amen? I mean, we pray, we're on our knees, we fast if, it's, if we do that, because we don't want to do it without the Lord. We know that that is folly, and that's not going to pay off, and our labors are going to be in vain. But guess what? The same goes for your family. That's what you're building. Same exact principle. Don't do it on your own power and fail or go in the wrong direction and look back and say this whole thing didn't work out, and my labor was in vain. That's what God says here. So stop trying to do it on your own power. Pray, ask God for his direction and blessing, and he will give it. And equip you in ways that you have no idea until he does. God's power, his glory. One writer said, by owning our short sight and trusting his foresight, own our short sight, acknowledge it, and say, okay, I need God's foresight. That's step one to building our house, to thriving. And then also in verse one, you see this watchman. What does that mean? Well, really simply, unless the, unless the Lord blesses the watchman, he's watching in vain. Before television and, and the internet and telephones, uh, 
you know, now those things are what alerts us of an emergency. We, we get plenty of notice if a tornado's coming or an enemy is coming. You know, if, if there's an army coming, we'll, we'll know that that's coming. But back then, they didn't have any of those things. So there was watchmen constantly watching. And the metaphor there is you can do the work of watching, but unless the Lord is with the watchmen, the watchmen watch in vain, you're going to miss things. You're not going to be able to keep your house secure. Okay? You need the Lord's blessing to keep your house secure. So we pray for the Lord's blessing. He's in it. Verse 2, another way that we try to build our house, how our lives, our families, our church, is to worry about them to the point of anxiety and fear. And God says, that's not necessary either. You think your family's falling apart? There's, There's stuff bad happening at church or at your workplace? Anxiety and fear because of worry is something that God wants you to have an answer to right now. So listen to this. This is how not to build. Okay, the way to build is to always remember how dependent we are on God. If we remember how dependent we are on God, then we won't try to do it in our own power, and we won't be cursed with anxiety that keeps us up at night. We are dependent on God, and we just need to admit that. We need to know that, and we need to admit that, and I'll prove it to you. We're dependent on God for every single breath. Go ahead and take a deep breath with me. I'll take another one. And know that unless God allows you to breathe, you're going to be dead. We all depend on God, whether we know it or not or want to admit it or not. So go ahead and say it. God, I depend on you. And when you take, Jesus said, when you take on my yoke, when I share the load, you'll find out that your burden's light. This is great. God wants you to overcome your anxieties and fears by depending on him. He's a good God and he lifts us up. So how does verse 2 say it? It says, it's vain, it's vain to rise up early and go to bed late, to work so hard, to burn the candle from both ends, to try to, uh, to build whatever you're building, whatever you're working on, whatever's consuming all your time and energy, whether your family, church, work, whatever it is that you're trying to build without the Lord because you're carrying more burden than you're meant to carry alone. The poet here, Solomon, calls this eating the bread of anxious toil. Don't you love poetry? Eating the bread of anxious toil. Charles Spurgeon said of this bread, he says, when God sends it, it is good to eat. When we bake it ourselves, it is vain to eat. When the devil brings it, it is deadly meat. Another poetic way of saying it. Trust God. Don't do it in your own power. And certainly stay away from the devil's schemes. Without giving our stress, our anxieties, our work, whatever we're building over to God, you'll never lose this anxiety because you'll always be fearful of losing it. So you don't need to. Giving it to God removes the anxiety. And look what he says. For he gives to his beloved sleep. You know how we need sleep and how good we feel when we get it. So let's just stop and pray right now. I, that's one thing, you know, I'm, I've had a lot of work in, in the mission field, especially in Africa. And you see the, the major cultural and spiritual giants in Africa are just different. There's so many more orphans. There's so much more starvation. There's so much more corruption. Uh, 
here, it's the, the major giants in a developed nation, in a wealthy nation like America, are anxiety, depression, sadness, family trouble, um, those kind of things. So I know that this is big on everybody's minds. I mean, this is a big part of our reality, living in this culture in this time right now. So let's just stop and pray and, and just give our anxieties to God right now. Join with me in prayer. Lord, I just... I thank you that we can come to you anytime, and I just feel led to pray about anxieties to you, just that we would give them to you, as, as verse 2 just tells us to. There's no time to start like right now just giving those to you. Lord, I know I've got a to-do list that's filled, needs that need to be met, things that I want to build, and I'll admit that my shoulders are not big enough to carry all of that by myself. So thank you for taking that load. I pray that your spirit speaks to ours, gives us some tangible direction, sure, but also a sense of peace right now, knowing that we're releasing that stress to you. I pray that we'll sleep, which is literal. We need sleep, but it's also figurative that we're just it's so, so peaceful because you've got this and will carry us through it. I think of Peter when he fell asleep between two guards chained to them when his execution was scheduled for the next day, and he was sleeping. Lord, I pray for that kind of release from our anxieties right now. In Jesus' powerful name, amen. Amen. May God answer that prayer. So that's what we are building and how and how not to build. Now let's go on to the rest of the verse, the, the, the chapter. And we see next God's instructions for expanding our house. And oh, I love this. God's He's given us instructions for building. Now he's given us instructions for expanding. Because let me ask you, without expanding our house, whatever we build, what's the purpose for building it in the first place? So God takes it to the next levels, to the future generations, to the legacy that we leave, to expanding the work that we've been working so hard on. Verses 3 through 5 turn, turn to expanding the house that we're building. Let's read those verses. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. All right, let's get into this. In verse 3, children are identified by God as a heritage and a reward. They're a gift from God. One thing that Christians sadly have in common too much of the time with our pagan and secular culture is a negative attitude towards children. And a negative attitude towards marriage. And a negative attitude towards church. And we join them too often in looking down on these things. Like children aren't a blessing. And that marriage isn't worth fighting for. And the church isn't worth building up. We've got to change all these negative attitudes towards all three of those. Because these are the three building blocks God gave humans for human thriving. So really all we need to do is have a biblical view of children, of marriage, of church, 
of work. That's all we have to do is have that biblical worldview and hold that biblical worldview, and it turns it all around. So let's meditate on verse 3 long and hard enough that it becomes who you are, your value. Let's, let's look at verse 3. I'm just going to read it again. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. God just established the value of children. Verse 4, then. Now we're getting into some really fun metaphors here in poetic language. Verse 4 calls children arrows. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. So let's press into this metaphor here. What's happening? What do we know about arrows? All right, bows and arrows have, have existed about as long as humans have. It wasn't too long after the fall that humans needed a weapon for warfare and for food, for hunting. Now, bows are often made of soft wood that bends, right? And you have the... In the early times, an animal sinew is the string. Arrows, on the other hand, were made out of hard wood that wouldn't break upon impact, that wouldn't be destroyed. The heads of arrows, then, were made of flint rock and shaped to points so they would cause the most impact. The Bible uses bows and arrows lots of times throughout Scripture, to represent all kinds of things in poetic language, in metaphorical language. Bows and arrows represent invisible forces, the judgment of God, divinely imposed peace, used to picture wickedness, used to teach us to be battle-ready, and used to picture victory. Lots of bows and arrows in the Bible. So because the people of Israel would have been familiar with this terminology, this metaphor, Solomon knew they would have easily recognized this imagery as they read Psalm 127. The picture of children as arrows would have been immediately understood about how we are to teach and train our children and treat them. So let's connect with that. What does this picture mean that children need to be brought up, forged as arrows to be shot out into the world. And by the way, my kids know this psalm very well. They know exactly that that's what we're working on. That's our goal. That's our mission as their parents. They know that we are building them up to be, share, to be arrows to shoot out into the world. Now let's go ahead and talk about what that means a little bit further. Think about what it means to, to make an arrow. Okay, if you were an ancient arrow maker, uh, what would you need to do? You'd need to go out find the right kind of wood, find the perfect tree or branch that's nice and straight. Prepare it at just the perfect length. It would have to have just the right thickness and strength. The arrow needed to fly straight on its course. The arrow needed to move through the air exactly on course, wherever it was pointed, and not fly off in a strange direction. That's why God didn't use the golf ball here as an illustration. Amen. All right. <laughs> he used an arrow. Fly straight on course where it's pointed. Arrows would be very valuable to the person who cut them, shaped them, and prepared them. It was a tool that would provide food for their family. 
They would take care of their family, keep them safe from those who would want to do them harm. It would make great impact on wherever it was shot in the world. An arrow is a lot like our children. In Solomon's time, they understood that the future of their entire nation depended on arrows. So they did not abandon them while working on them. They didn't take shortcuts. They did not turn the responsibility of making them over to someone else. And they did not dare release them into battle without making sure that they were ready. In Solomon's time, they also understood that the future of their entire nation depended on their children in just these same ways. And for us today, it's no different. We show our children how to stand against those who would oppress us or exploit us or oppress or exploit other people. No, we're Christ followers. We stand against that. We shape our children to stand straight and tall in the face of adversity. And we have the task of molding and shaping our children into the kinds of Christ followers that the world needs them to be. If we are the salt and light in the world as we follow Christ, that comes from our discipleship of our children. The future of the nation, of the world, of society, depends on it. So adults here who have kids or grandkids and adults here who have young sons and daughters here in the church, in the faith, I'm talking to everybody here because it's amazing how the principles for biological family translate exactly to the church family. And that's something I want to elevate in all of our minds is the value of the church family. We are the eternal family. My kids are my kids on this short life, but they're my sisters in Christ forever. So the same things apply to the biological family as the church family here. So this is all of us. We are the arrow makers and the archers who make, build up the arrows to shoot them into the world. Not to tear them down, not to ignore them, and not to think it's somebody else's responsibility. It's ours. Children are not an inconvenience for us. They are our heritage. And Lord willing, by our depending on the Lord, as he's told us here, our trusting in God's plans and seeking them, and our faithful building and our faithful watching and expanding, Lord willing, our children will take the charge from us and launch into the world for greater and brighter things than we've ever seen yet. That's a God-sized view for expanding our house for our children. Let's not labor in vain. Amen? And then verse 5. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Who fills his quiver with them. It is true that the more children you have, the more work you have. The more diapers you need to buy, I hear that amen, the more dentist bills you have to pay, we're facing that one right now too. I've been buying diapers for 12 years, nonstop, without a break. It's an incredible run. Yes, the more kids, the more problems you have, the more potential for trials, 
but the more children you have, the more joy and love and great memories that you have also, and the more security that you have later in life. See that, the way that it, the verse ends right here, he shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at the gate. The city gate, here's a picture of a gate currently in Jerusalem. It's where official business was always done in the ancient world. That's where business was done, trade was done, but also all the government business as well. So this just means, that last phrase in the psalm means that as we grow older, the children of our youth are now grown up and they're strong and they're capable and they're influential and they'll take care of us because as we age, I mean, think about it this today. We have 15 different government agencies that we have to fill out paperwork for. It's confusing. Uh, we have all the medical things going on. It's a blessing to have your adult children helping you on that. So I, I pray that everybody is caring for their parents if you're in a season like that. This is the blessing of, of God, of children. This is how it is to function in, and thrive in the human experience according to God's plan. So invest in the kids now because they're going to be taking care of you later. They'll be a blessing to you now and for the rest of our life. Now, being a father of six daughters, <laughs> people tell me all kinds of different things. Um, one of the things I found, find interesting that, that I hear a lot is that daughters especially are good at taking care of you when you get older. So that's something we have going for us, Sarah and I. So... I've shown this before, and, and I wanted to do this again for anybody who hasn't seen everybody. I want to introduce you to my and Sarah's retirement plan. <laughs> and buying them plenty of Kalani's ice cream helps, for sure. That's a, a great investment. So, here's the elephant in the room right now. How many children should you have? What's he saying that you should have? No birth control? All right, I'm going to answer that. Here's how I'm going to answer that, because the Bible answers it. God says, listen to what God says. Look at the text. Blessed are those whose quivers are full. Here's the thing. Quivers were of different sizes back then. So here's the answer. However large your quiver is, fill it up. Okay, God is kind. If you pray to him and ask him, how big is my quiver? He's going to answer that. And then you go out and follow his answer. That's the answer to how many kids you should have. Be ready for his answer, whatever it is. You'll be blessed. Let me tie all this together in two next steps that we can take with us from today. Looking back at these five amazing verses, the first is to devote all of your building to God. Hear him speak through his word clearly today. Devote all your efforts, all your pursuits to God, because unless the Lord is in the plans, they are in vain. And we don't, nobody's got time for that, to be working and building in vain. Give it to God. Meditate again on verses 1 and 2. You might even want to memorize those verses. They are great to memorize, so you can always have them in your mind and in your heart. You do not want your labors to be in vain or done for no lasting purpose. You do not want to eat the bread of anxious toil and be beat up by all these things that should be a blessing. God himself has told you this in these verses. And the Lord will guide your plans. You walk with him in the building and bang, you are set. 
life's not perfect, but you will accomplish great things that God has for you in your building. Whatever that, whatever that is, every part of life. So devote all your building to God. That's the first thing. Second is to disciple every young person in our church. This is clear. He or she who raises a host of spiritual children, whether you're the biological parents or grandparents or not, if you raise spiritual children in the church, you are happy and blessed by God. This is discipleship. And discipleship is the mission that Jesus gave his church and each one of us as individual Christ followers. It is the building that we do as followers of Christ. And that is why I'm very excited to announce that starting next week, what are we doing after Psalms? Here it is. We are going to launch a brand new sermon series on discipleship called Discipleship, Following Christ Here and Now. And that's going to kick off next week, and I am definitely looking forward to it. Uh, it is why we exist, and this is a great launch into that. Also, let me just say praise God for Revive. I know Sean kind of mentioned that we had a great week, and there's a youth uh, takeover service in two weeks, August 2nd, and it's going to be awesome. But let me just say, now that I have my, our two oldest kids are in youth group, and I've heard and seen and witnessed all the impact that that made over the last three days, uh, I just want to stop and say thank you, youth ministry, and praise God for that impact. Um, and VBS, Vacation Bible School, if you have not signed up for that yet, it's this coming Saturday, and invite, you know, there's invitation cards out there. You can invite your neighbor kids. That is a worthy pursuit. So thank you to youth ministry and children's ministry for your part in discipling our kids. Now, you have to understand, they don't have the only part. They're just a part. Um, they assist the parents and grandparents. But they do it very well. I thank you. So that brings us to the end of this psalm and to the end of this psalm series. And to end the series now, while the worship team comes up, I'm going to read, I'm going to end the psalm series how God ends the psalms. I'm going to read Psalm 150. That's the last one. It's the doxology of the entire Psalter, the Psalms. And I'm just, it's going to be on the screen. I'm just going to read it, and then they're going to lead us in this right here. Okay, here's what God says. Here's how he closes the Psalm. Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Tyler, you got, got it ready over there. All right. <laughs> praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Everything that has breath out there ready for this? Let me just pray real quick before we do. Lord, I just I, I thank you for the good psalm series, for the good season that we're in. Even though it's a challenging one, you are so good and faithful in it. Lord, I, I pray that we'll follow this wisdom that Solomon gave us today. Your Holy Spirit gives us through his words. And now I pray that we'll enjoy our concluding celebration right now. May it lead us into a great day and week. Live for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please stand with us.
Would you be free from the burden? 